hands up. Yeah. So, great. Anybody have any other comments about that? People who are shaking their heads? Some communities don't want to be associated with social work, like for, for instance, a lot of people in the indigenous community had a lot of negative experience, so actually attracting people, candidates from those communities to pursue training in social work is problematic as the negative associations. So. I can imagine that's true. I'm not sure that that like, would answer like, the overwhelming proportion. Of... It just, sorry. Just Sorry, I was going to let Lisa oh, go ahead. And oh, I, I feel like it kind of makes like racialized people wonder, like, are they being like accepted into certain like aspects, like programs or work and stuff like that, because they're actually qualified, or because to keep up that image to show that they are diverse, fill like, the like, quota, and that's what you're yeah, exactly. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say it just points to the privilege of the white privilege and how that's very much evident that just because of you know of the availability of education and funds and whole kinds of things that, like, that go with that um, allow that the, the space for, for white students, they, they have that, you know, they have that ability because of that privilege they've had for the whole lifetime. So, I don't know. this idea that white people don't have 
conversation when it comes to race. And so one of the goals of this class, and one thing that I hope I will do my best at, is to sort of deconstruct that and frame it in a way that, yes, there is a race and there is a culture that white people fall into, and it is part of the conversation. And with that lack of awareness, it's just going to be on racialized people to undo it and continue the work, right? So it's just figuring out what that world looks like, and then also talking more about those types of feelings. Because sometimes those don't come up. It's uncomfortable to talk about. Um, and, and without it being challenged, it feeds into like color blindness and some other types of microaggressions and other types of manifestations of racism that we'll talk about a little later. Okay? Right. Great. Great thoughts. So this is kind of what I wanted to frame the lecture on. It's just, there's this dichotomy right? of like, when it's visible, when it's invisible. So the visible in our client populations, if you will be doing social work in Ottawa, I don't want to say like 80% or whatever, but a very high percentage of the clients that you'll be working with will be patients. That's just the reality of the work that we do in a city like this. I don't know about like Montreal or other cities where people are from, I imagine the same thing. So the visibility will be there, and then what oftentimes happens is that someone who and working at a community health center, having a very, very high population of racialized clients, having you know MSW or BSW, uh, SSW students come in, they're like, I came from this small town, or I came from this place, and I've never met somebody like this, what do I do? Right? And they're like, third, fourth year, first year MSW, second year MSWs, and they have never been exposed to what it's like to work with a different population. So there's this gap that happens, where in our training and in our learning, it's very invisible, but then you come into the field, you know, they face the reality that actually I might not know what I'm doing when it comes to this aspect of the people I'm serving. And you can you can remove race and put anything else in there in terms of marginalization, it probably would be the same thing. Okay? So it's kind of thinking about how did this happen? What is it about the history of social work and how it was developed that led to this invisibility, visibility?
child of a social worker, so social worker before the social worker. So in thinking about those two contexts, the context of dominance, the context of resistance, who do you all think were social workers that fit into each of those categories? Does that make sense? Give you guys a second to think about it. So before it was, I'm a capital S social, capital W worker. Who did, who did social work? So think about that for a second. So it's like the precursors to so if we look at Freud, then European men of a certain class. Yeah. Um, like through like institutions like church and and I guess some some of the one that kind of fits under both would be say some of the women who worked with things like the settlement houses and and things like that. That was like resistance, but as well as probably still the Yeah, following up, there's also the social status that those women typically had to occupy because they were considered the right representatives of proper society, people who would be able to help people and raise them up to the yeah. profile they needed to be. Good, good. Okay. So those are some examples. We'll talk, we'll give some more examples after that. So when we, that's more <coughs> the broader context. When we put that idea or conceptualization in, onto racialized communities and look at racialized communities in that way, we can say that there are social workers from that context of dominance that were imposed on our communities, and there were the social workers in the communities that came from the context of resistance and resilience. Right? So there was that imposition on one hand, and then there was that nurturing of growth and communal sort of strength that came from in, inside. Okay? So some other examples of social workers, social workers who were imposed on communities. Um, who did we say that that one random white guy who did everything on the reserve? The Indian agent. Indian agent. I I would say that's that was a proto social worker, right? So this person, like we talked about the last couple of classes, everything imaginable when it comes to wills, notaries, sales, life, death, birth, health, like whatever, all went through this one person. So that's an example of a social worker that was imposed on the community. What about, can you guys think of some other ones? So this, uh, this settlement house thing is a good example. What, if, what are some other examples that you can think of that people had a role of social work that maybe were imposed on racialized communities? So? Um, the adoptive families. I know the adoptive families, yeah. the 60 scoop, the parents. They were saving the children for themselves. Teachers. Teachers, yeah. Um, I would say probably anybody that worked in like an institution, so whether that be hospitals, uh, universities, literally any type of institution, they're workers. Great. Yes. Guidance counselors. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so historically, we know, and even nowadays, I'm sure it still happens. It's not as documented, or they call something else, but. Doctors and nurses taking advantage of marginalized people and doing essentially whatever they wanted to do in the name of their own research or just experimenting. Or right? So that's an example of that imposition that happened. What about from inside of the community? So now in the context of resistance and resilience, 
what happened in certain communities where social work sort of existed in their own ways, and who maybe were some of those. Some communities they have, so say you have a racialized community and then there's the elder, elderly grandmother type figure who people go the and- they, yeah. yeah, exactly. The matriarchs, they go get advice and they help out. Or the elders. The elders, yeah. Yes. Um, people like often confide in like, their church service. You know, like, their church Midwives? Church dependent, right? Could go either way, as like Andrew was mentioning, could go either way. So those are some examples of social work in those two contexts before the regulation actually happened. Okay, so there's those two contexts that we're in currently, and that's kind of like part of the inheritance that we carry with us. So there's the idea, so even if we think about now, if, if you've had placements before and you've the field, you can think of the ways that social work is being imposed on people but also the way social work is supporting people's resistance. Right? So we're kind of doing both of those things. So an example from history um, is there's a, the black community in Montreal. They had to develop their own social welfare system because they're essentially excluded from the cities and the church's social welfare system, right? So they created their own church. It was called the Union United Church. and what would happen in these communities is that everything came out of the church. So because that became the place where everyone would congregate, it would be like religious, spiritual service, but it would be where people go to eat, people go to function, they just go hang out, there would be dances, do this, do that. So it became a natural hub over time. So it's an example of due to the imposition of social work, saying, hey, you actually are excluded from this, as a result, that community resistance kind of naturally. Does that make sense? Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. So like in my mind I think of like like it's kind of like creating community within communities. So like Chinatown, for example. Yeah. Chinatown is a gathering of a certain culture so that they can speak like you know Chinese and have their own restaurants and food and stuff. Is that an example would you say is like a Absolutely as it comes together? Yes, because what happened was because of the imposition of of that exclusion. That exclusion was very clear. You can't come to our neighborhoods. The reaction to that and response to that was, we'll make our neighborhoods. So that's, that's exactly what happened like, for, in that way and also in this 